Good morning. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, the Bible app will be in Hebrews chapter 1, the New Testament book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one from the rack that's uh, in the seat in front of you there, that compartment. And um, if, you don't, if you don't have your own Bible, we'd love to give that to you. Um, just put your name in it, take it home, read it. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word of their own. So we've, we've just come through the Christmas season. You probably noticed that. And now we're in the new year. Um, one of the interesting things when we um, read the accounts of the Christmas uh, event of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus, when we read those accounts and even uh, the Christmas carols we sing, several of them, um, one of the interesting things in, in those accounts and songs is angels. Have you noticed that? Angels we have heard on high, that kind of thing. And we read about angels appearing to Joseph and Mary and all these things. We really don't spend much time talking about them, though. And the reason for that is that they're not the main thing. They're, they're not the main issue. They're, they're kind of the, uh, in the supporting cast, so to speak. Um, but as we continue through our, our journey uh, through the book of Hebrews, today we are going to be looking in chapter 1 at some very direct teaching about angels. And you might wonder why. Why, why are we going to do that? What, what is the point of talking about angels? If they're not the main thing, if they're sort of supporting cast, if you will, uh, what do they have to do with my life? Well, I want to sort of set the stage here for what we're going to be looking at and see if I can help you uh, see the significance of this. So the, the first readers of this book were Jewish Christians. They were Jews who had professed faith in Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. And because they had done that, they were beginning to experience some real hardships, some very difficult situations, uh, because their profession of Jesus as Messiah put them at odds with the religious leaders and with their fellow Jews who had not made that profession of faith in Jesus. And so what is happening is some of them are starting to wonder if following Jesus is really worth it. You know, maybe they should just go back to their old ways, their old ways of worship, their old, go back and go along with mainstream Jewish customs and rituals and beliefs. Maybe they should just stop making a big deal about Jesus. Because if 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 emphasizing Jesus makes other people upset, and it does, well, why not just tone it down? Just tone it down. You can stick to safe spiritual topics, you know, like prayer, or helping the poor, or even angels, right? They're in the Bible. Let's just talk about them. Just don't 
don't drop the J word, you know? Just don't talk about Jesus. That can be pretty tempting in our world, can't it? Right? Because we're expected to agree with this sort of consensus in the world that when it comes to God, religion, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, we're expected to agree that no belief is better than any other. And no one can say that their way is the only way. That's too exclusive. The problem is, that's exactly what Jesus said. In fact, he said it even stronger than that. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You talk about exclusive. That's quite an exclusive statement. And there's no way to tone that down. There's no way to minimize Jesus if you take him seriously, if you take him at his word, if you uh, are honest about who he says he is, he's absolutely unique. He's one of a kind. He has no equal. He has no rival. No one else even comes close to his significance. That's really the big message of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the one and only Son of God who alone brings us to God. So no matter how pressured we might feel to tone Jesus down, uh, de-emphasize him, anything which attempts to do that, anything which tries to minimize Jesus, minimize his uniqueness, minimize the significance of what he accomplished through his death and resurrection is going to seriously misrepresent him and dishonor him. And if you think about it, it's going to wind up hurting people. Because by far the greatest need anyone has is to know about and trust Jesus Christ the Son of God. So the writer of Hebrews is responding to these people who are thinking of going back to the old ways that they were used to. He's saying, no, no, there's no going back. There's no going back to the old ways because Jesus has come and fulfilled and surpassed the old ways. And so here he's beginning to show how Jesus is superior to everyone and everything that came before. So in the first three verses, which we've been looking at over the past three weeks or so, um, some amazing claims made about him and, and the emphasis that in Jesus, God has spoken his ultimate and final word. And now in verse four of chapter one, he begins quoting passages from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is far superior to everyone and everything that came before. And he starts with angels. You say, why? why? Why angels? Well, apparently, some people were trying to de-emphasize Jesus 
by making angels either equal to him or even greater than him. There, we actually have some good documentary evidence. If you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we've got some documents that indicate that at the time of Jesus, some Jewish communities at least believed that the future kingdom of God, which would be established on this earth, will be ruled by Michael, the archangel, and that he will rule over all humanity, including Messiah, the messianic king. So somebody's trying to influence these people to believe something along those lines to give angels a greater status than Jesus the Messiah. And so the writer of Hebrews is appealing to Old Testament scripture. He's going to quote the very words of God that they believe to refute that idea. Angels are not equal to Jesus. They are not greater than Jesus. He is far superior to them. Now, that might not be an issue for you. You might have no inclination whatsoever to elevate angels up to or above Jesus. You know, I, I've known some people who really get excited about angels, and you go in their house and they got angels everywhere. Well, they've got fat little babies with chubby bottoms. I <laughs> seriously doubt that's what angels actually look like. I don't even know where that came from, but whatever. Um, there are people who've made a big, big deal about angels, and they're all, you know, interested in them. Maybe that, it's probably not you. But here's the thing. There's always going to be something or someone who is clamoring for your ultimate attention and devotion. That's the nature of the life we live. Something, somebody clamors for your ultimate attention, your ultimate loyalty, your ultimate devotion. And if it's not angels, it's someone or something else. So the lesson for this first section is pretty straightforward. It's basically why you should pay far more attention to Jesus than to angels or anyone else. So you can just replace angels as you think about it. Well, what, what in my life am I prone to um, want to give more attention to than Jesus? So some reasons for paying far more attention to Jesus, far more devotion, far more loyalty to him than any, anyone or anything else, including angels. Verses four through six. Let's start at verse four. So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So reason number one for paying far more attention to Jesus than angels is that Jesus is God's son and angels worship him. It's the first proof of his superiority. He is God's son 
angels worship him. Jesus is far superior to angels because he has a far superior name. Now, here it's not talking about the name Jesus, it's talking about the, name, the title. Name often means title in scripture, and here it's the title son. As God's son, Jesus' status is far greater than that of any angel. Now, it's important to understand and this could get a little confusing, so hang in there. Stay with me. When we, when we read the word son here, that title, here it is not talking mainly about the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son within the Trinity. Okay, Jesus has always been the Son of God in that sense, but here... It's talking about how Jesus fulfills a certain promise. The promise that God made to provide to his people a Messiah, an anointed king. That's what Messiah means. You know, they, they took their position by having oil placed on their head. They didn't take an oath of office or something like that. It was being anointed. God made a promise to his people to provide an anointed king in the royal line of David to rule over his people and over the world, ultimately. Now, I talked about this before in message two of this series. If you missed it, you might want to check it out online. That was December 15th's message. But we've got two quotes here, uh, or a couple quotes. The first is from Psalm 2. Now, the second psalm is a song or a poem, and it was recited or sung when the new king was anointed and began his reign. So he's heir to the throne, but on the day of his anointing, when he ascends to the throne, they would recite this song because that's when he became God's son in the sense of taking that position uh, of ruling over God's family, just as, there's a cultural connection here, just as in that culture, the oldest son in a family inherited his father's authority and led the family in his father's name. That is the promise that God made to David, that his descendants would inherit that title of son over the family of God. And that's the point of the quote, uh, the second quote from 2 Samuel 7, 14. God says to David, this is the promise, I will be his father and he will be my son. Who, who will be? Who will be his son? Well, the king will, the son of David, who will rule over God's family as God's son. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise because he is the son of God in a far greater way than any who came before him, than any merely human king. He's God's unique son. He's God's one-of-a-kind son. There's no one like him. And when the eternal son of God 
became man and by his dying and rising again, being born in the line of David, he entered into his inheritance as the rightful ultimate king, fulfilling the promises of God for his people who will rule over them and ultimately over the whole world. He has inherited through his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, he has inherited the name that is far above the name of any angel, anyone else. See, God never promised to give that, that role, that role of sonship over his people. He never promised to give that role to an angel. He promised to give it to his chosen king. And so, because he's God's chosen king, he is God's son, all God's angels worship him. That's the point of, it says that right there in verse 6. And we're taught this elsewhere. Other places, like Philippians 2, look at this. It says that after Jesus' death on the cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, in case we don't know what every means, he lays it out. Every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, every knee under the earth. He's talking about angelic beings, human beings, demonic beings. Every created being will sooner or later bow down and worship Jesus. That is absolutely unthinkable. Unless... Jesus really is God. It's just unthinkable. No angel, no angel would dare worship a created being. They only worship God. Look at Revelation 22.8. The Apostle John here is relating an experience that he had when he received this vision from God. Look what he says. He says, I, John... And the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the, what? The angel who'd been showing them to me. But he, the angel, said to me, don't do that. Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Angels don't want our worship. They don't want our devotion. They don't want our preoccupation. They want us to join in worshiping God alone, including God the Son. So that's the first reason. Reason number two, verses seven through nine. In speaking of the angels, he says, another quote, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and your righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Second reason to pay far more attention to Jesus is that Jesus sits on God's throne and the angels obey him 
they serve him. That's, that's the contrast here. The contrast between a king and his servants. Jesus is the king. Angels are servants. Jesus is the sovereign. They are the subjects. Jesus is the ruler. They are the ruled. You getting the point? In the hearts and minds of angels, there is no higher position than that held by Jesus, the Son of God. Which raises a great question for us. <laughs> How about you? How about me? How about in our hearts and minds? Who's on that highest throne in our minds and hearts? Does Jesus hold the highest place in our lives? Have you ever heard of the Sunday school answer? You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of a joke. Um, it goes like this. Well, this is, how, you know, this is the idea. Uh, no matter what question anybody asks in Sunday school, the correct answer is always Jesus. Yeah. That's a joke because it's an exaggeration. That's not really true. But it's not too much of an exaggeration, actually. Because there is a sense, a very real sense, in which Jesus is the real answer. He's our message. He's our focus. Literally, everything Christians believe connects to him in some way. He you know, if you picture all of reality as like a wheel, Jesus is the hub, and everything is like a spoke in that wheel connecting to him, which means that every part of our lives ought to connect to him in some way. And you could say that life, in a lot of ways, as we're reading through Scripture and we're encouraging and helping and teaching one another, it's help me see how every part of my life connects to him. And any part that's not connected to him is messed up in some way. But that's, that's a big hurdle. You know, for, for many people, that's giving Jesus way, way too big of a place in life than they want to give him. You know, they're, they're fine with Jesus forgiving their sins, answering their prayers, but they're not ready to give him first place in everything. They just want to give him part of their lives. I, I remember, you know, having to deal with this as I was a young man in, in college, coming to realize I'd kind of put Jesus in this compartment. And, you know, uh, glad to have him forgive my sins Glad to have him answer my prayers. Glad to have him, you know, when I'm feeling guilty or low, you know, lift me up and encourage me. But, you know, pretty much wanted him to just stay in that place and, uh, you know, mind his own business, so to speak. A lot of people are in that place. They don't want Jesus making a nuisance of himself by trying to run the whole show. They want to tame Jesus. A Jesus who will comfort them when they're sad and forgive them when they feel guilty, but otherwise stay in his place. <laughs> That's not the real Jesus. 
That's the Jesus, that's, that's a Jesus of human imagination. He doesn't exist. The real Jesus sits on God's throne and the angels obey him and so should we. Reason three for paying more attention to Jesus, verses 10 through 12. He also says, another scripture quote, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They'll be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Reason three, Jesus is creator, and angels are creatures. Jesus is creator, angels are creatures. So he's quoting here from Psalm 102, and if you think about what he's doing, the author of Hebrews, it's really amazing. I uh, find it troubling and kind of amusing when people want to insist that the Bible never describes Jesus as God. That's just not true, and this is one of the places where it does it. If you go back and read Psalm 102, it's addressed to Yahweh, God of Israel, creator of heaven and earth. And the author of Hebrews is saying, this applies to Jesus. So that what God did in creating the world and the universe, the Son did. It's an elaboration of what we saw back in verse 2. Through whom God created the universe, all things. Jesus is that creator. So if he made all things, then angels are some of the things he made. And basic rule of thumb, the maker is always greater than the things he makes. Always. You know, you think about the amazing technology we have. You know, like this, smartphone. Yeah, it's especially amazing if you're old enough to remember the time before these, or cell phones at all, when a phone was a thing you talked into to talk to other people, and that's all it was. And it hung on the wall. And a camera was a completely different thing. And you bought film, and you took pictures, and you had to get them developed. You actually had to wait for those pictures. And then if you wanted to send somebody a message, you actually had to write it or type it. Some of you are dating yourselves. <laughs> okay, but now you, you can do all that with this. In fact, you can do way more. I no wonder younger people probably think, well, camera, yeah, that, that's a camera. A camera, phone, message, message thing, it's all the same. It is incredible, the technology. You know what's even more incredible? the minds of the people who made this. That's what's incredible. And that's way more amazing than this. Angels are amazing. They're amazing creatures. We get little glimpses of them as we're reading through our Bibles. We get, they're incredible. But they're just creatures. Jesus is their creator. He made them amazing. And everything in your life, the people, the things that are good, 
that you love, that fill you with joy, those things are creations. Jesus is creator. Anything that's good is good because it reflects his goodness. He's the one to be amazed at. He's the one to be preoccupied with. One more, verses 13 and 14. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So you should pay far more attention to Jesus than to angels because Jesus rules God's kingdom and the angels do his will. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is doing today? You know, we read about his birth, we read about his life, his miracles, read about his death, we read about his resurrection, we read about him ascending to heaven. What's he doing today? Well, the answer is, he's extending God's kingdom. That's what he's doing. He's extending the boundaries of God's kingdom. He is sending his messengers into enemy territory. He's turning rebels into worshipers. He's seeking and saving the lost. And he is working all things together for the ultimate good of those who trust him. In other words, he's working out the final triumph of his kingdom. Okay, it's what sometimes scholars call the already but not yet. The kingdom has been inaugurated, it has been begun, but it's not yet here in its fullness. We're still waiting, that's why we pray, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Jesus is in the process of extending his kingdom. He's working out the ultimate triumph that he won on the cross and through his resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15, 25, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. There's a really interesting image from ancient warfare that when a general defeated the opposing army, they would bring that opposing general, if he was still alive, or whoever was the highest ranking official after the victory, and they would make him lie down before the conquering general, and he would put his foot on his enemy's neck as a symbol of his total and complete victory. That's what this is talking about. Jesus must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. He is in the process of working out that total victory. He will bring this rebellious, seemingly out of control world to a place of perfect submission to the loving rule of God. Every knee will bow to him. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And if you have done that, if you have bowed to him, if you have confessed that he is Lord, you know what? You're already a part of his victory. You're already part of his victory. If you have received his pardon for sin, if you have owned him as your king, well, God's kingdom's boundaries have been extended to include you. And now you're part of his kingdom. You're an heir of the kingdom. 
And as an heir of the kingdom, (laughs) Jesus sends his angels to serve you. Say, where are they? What are they doing? You know, I don't know. I don't exactly know. Because the Bible doesn't really talk about it. Um, the Bible is not about angels. The Bible is about God and about our relationship with Him. I don't know exactly what they do, but somehow, somehow, they serve those who are heirs of the kingdom, who belong to Christ, so that we inherit that salvation that Jesus purchased for us. It's wonderful. I, so I don't know exactly what they do. I, I've had a couple experiences in my life where I think, hmm. I remember I was driving right over here on 119th Street, and I was starting to go down that you know, hill to Cougar Creek. And the car in front of me sort of crossed over the line and was coming right toward me. And we were so close. We were so close. I just knew. I was, you know, you just braced myself for the impact. And I'm holding the wheel, and it went like that. And I, it was faster than I could react, I think. I don't know. Kind of thought about it later and thought some angels just went, <laughs> not today. I don't know. Maybe not. But somehow, somehow, they're serving those who will inherit the salvation Jesus purchased. It's a wonderful thing that they do. But don't focus on them. <laughs> So don't, after my story, go around like, where are they? What are they doing? No, 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 no. No, they don't want you doing that. They want you to focus on the same one they're focused on, Jesus. Be preoccupied with him. Focus on him. Let's learn from their example. What do angels do? They worship God, and they serve God's people. That's a great recipe for life right there. Worship God, serve his people, do his will. Expand his kingdom. We can be those messengers who take the message of the king, the pardon of the king into enemy territory and extend his offer of gracious rule. Angels want us to be preoccupied with Jesus. So let's let's learn from them. Let's pray together. Father, this, this stimulates my curiosity. I've got all kinds of questions about angels, and I kind of want to go and read about all that they do and say. And, and Lord, I'm pretty sure that's not really the result you want me to take away from this scripture. You want me to be utterly preoccupied, utterly devoted to, utterly delighted in your son. Your son our creator, our redeemer, our savior, our coming king. Lord, may we learn to connect every area of our life to Jesus and understand what it means to live by faith in the Son of God. Lord, if there's anyone here who has yet to bow their knee and with their mouth confess Jesus as Lord and Receive the pardon you offer so freely. I pray that uh, today you will move them closer to that place of decision 
of knowing you, knowing you through your son. We pray in his name. Amen.